Well, when Donnie saw that we were talking about principles for everyday carry, he thought he was preaching this morning. If you know anything about Donnie Burris, he is uh, well known for being an armorer for Glock. He is a gun instructor extraordinaire. And so one of the things that I love about Donnie is you, uh, you can always feel safe when you're at church because Donnie's going to make sure everybody's protected. Um, <clears throat> the good news is, not only are we protected if some kind of vandal tries to come in and do some something bad, but if the church ever catches fire, uh, Craig Trovinger carries too, but he carries a water gun, and um, he'd be able to squirt that thing out just just right. So <laughs> it's even better the second time. Oh, I love it. <clears throat> I love it. When we talk about everyday carry, uh, this means something different to guys and to girls, all right? Men, ladies, just put your fingers in your ears here for a second. Men, listen, listen to me. I'm going I'm to give you some, some good instruction right now, okay? Because I have done something that no man should ever do. I have looked in my wife's purse. It's like the Bermuda Triangle. There's stuff that's disappeared in there, and I haven't found it for 70 years. It is like one of those magic shows where, you know, the guy's pulling out, you know, like a two-by-four, and all kind, you know, there's like... Uh, jigsaw in heavy-duty construction equipment. She put my keys in her purse one Sunday, and I couldn't find her, and I needed to go, and I thought, how hard can it be to find my keys in her purse? Good golly, two weeks later. I <laughs> and I did not give her permission to pick on her. But, but men, if you have ever had a similar experience, would you say amen? All right, see, look, it's not just me. I'm get, I got everybody in trouble at the same time. <clears throat> for, for women... Everyday carry, I, I don't know. I don't want to be sexist, but it might be a makeup kit. Um, wallets mean something completely different to women than they do to men. Um, I want fast, flexible, and minimal. Hers is like, I, I don't know, a cash box of treasure of all kinds of things that are in there. Uh, for men, when we talk about everyday carry, frequently that means kind of survival stuff. So if you were to look in my backpack, there'd be, there'd be a, a pocket knife, a, a, a knife of some sort. Uh, a bigger knife, um, perhaps perhaps concealed things that we're not going to talk about here in church, maybe a little fire starter, some kind of light in case the power goes out. You know, you just want to be that Boy Scout. You want to be prepared. Here's the thing that's really strange. <clears throat> when we talk about everyday carry, we have all kinds of exotic stuff that we put, crazy knives and survival gear, and uh, some of you might even have survival food stashed away somewhere. Um, for Pastor Larry, it used to be the bottom drawer of his desk where all the Snickers were kept. Um, he had his own little stash right there. But here's the thing that kind of drives me crazy. We think we need all of these crazy things to survive, and yet we don't really understand the fundamental purpose of how much our life really is derived from the Word of God. And you saw the video. We carry all kinds of stuff with us. Listen, uh, it, he was showing an airplane when he talked about carrying your baggage, but the airport ain't the only place that has baggage. Some of you walked in this morning load it up with it. You carry all kinds of stuff with you. And I tell you, one thing that drives me crazy is over the holidays, I, I, if, if um, we needed some extra groceries at the last minute, I, I'm, I'm the one that I run to the grocery store. And, and I'm going through the grocery store, and I am trying, I got one of the little carts. I don't have the big cart. I got the little cart because I want to be fast and flexible. I'm ready to go. And there are people walking down the aisle not paying attention to anybody else on their phones. Anybody ever seen that? That drive you crazy. You know, it's even worse. Young people, let me, let me give you a, a quick little life lesson. 
if you are talking to someone older than you, okay, talk to that person. Um, whoever calls you or texts you or whatever, that's why you have a phone. You can get back to them at any time that you want. When you are talking to someone and then you interrupt that conversation to talk to someone else, you have just tacitly communicated that whoever it is on the phone sending you emojis is more important than the person pouring out their life to you face to face. So just wait. You, you can get to it later. But it drives, drives me nuts because here's the thing. Everybody here probably has their own copy of the scriptures, like a physical copy of the scriptures. If you don't, you can get one out of the pew back in front of you. <clears throat> in this crowd, probably every single one of you has a, has a smartphone. Uh, there might be a few dumb phones in here, but yes or no, you can, you can have the Bible on your phone. Okay? So this thing that is supposed to make your life more easy and gives you much more access to carrying the word with you every day isn't used for that at all. I mean, how many of you say, let me tell you, getting a smartphone was the most awesome thing in my life because now I can read the Bible anywhere I want to be. I, I don't even need to pack it in my suitcase. I'm going to India in a couple weeks, and I'll have, I'll have an Indian Bible. I got different languages and translations. I got everything right here. <clears throat> how many of you would say your smartphone has significantly upped the sanctification in your spiritual practices? It could, couldn't it? Absolutely. We have more access to the scriptures than we ever have in human history, and yet we, we are no better to show for it. Here's the question. <clears throat> Let's just say you're a mom and a dad, a mom or a dad, and you've got a kid. I know we're expecting, so you know, here's the kinds of things that you, you not you, I'm pointing to Patrick and Cammie. <clears throat> Marcy is not pregnant, okay? Let me just clarify. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> We, meaning our church family, we got, a, we got a couple babies on the way. That's a good thing. Wow, boy. And church people don't talk at all either, so I can only imagine what's, what, 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 what people heard. Let's just say... <laughs> oh, that's great. Let's just say you have found out the news that you fear the most has come true, and your kid has some exotic disease for which there is no cure things start to get real serious at that point. The doctor says, you know, there's nothing that we can do to absolutely cure it, but we can put it in advance. We can, we can treat the symptoms, and it will not progress if you take this prescription and religiously are devoted to it every day. How many of you would be lazy with making sure that your kid gets that prescription? I mean, you would set up reminders your life would be planned around it. You would not go anywhere without making sure that you had extra of whatever it is that you need to give. And yet the Bible says that when it comes to our spiritual life, that this book that he has given us is a cure for the biggest problem that afflicts mankind. And we are so casual with our attitude towards it. The, the, the way that the Bible speaks about it says, itself says, it is our life. And yet we might not even pick the book up, but once a week, that doesn't sound like our life. That sounds like a lackadaisical hobby. <clears throat> and so I want to talk this morning about two really simple points about how we want to carry the word every day. Yes, there are other things you can carry that might be cooler to talk about. But carrying the word with you is an indispensable component of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So under the first heading, I want to talk about what is the work that the word does. And three things that I want us to look at here, really just kind of quickly. 
Uh, I'm going to throw a bunch of Bible verses at you. We're going to camp out in Mark chapter 4, 1 through 9, but we're going to look at a bunch of different verses here. So uh, in the margin of your notes, if you're following along on version or you're using the bulletin, you might want to scribble some of these, um, <coughs> some of these uh, scripture references down. What's the work that the Word does? Three things that I think are very important for us to figure out. Number one, we were created by the Word. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things, what's that say? All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. The Bible says emphatically, with no uh, secondary causation, no pre-existing material, that we were created by the Word. The Word created everything that is. Everything that is. Now, man can do some pretty amazing things. We can go to the moon, and we can create Toyota Priuses, and we can build skyscrapers, but everything that we do is with pre-existing material. God made stuff. It's amazing. It says it here in John 1. You go to Genesis chapter 1, and it says, um, God said, let there be. 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 And stuff just starts popping into existence out of nothing. And then when he gets to the very end, around 126, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. That's me. He, he breaks away from his normal pattern of let there be, let there be, let there be, to let us make man in our image. But everything is made by God. This does not erase all of the tensions because I get, I get tons of questions from people that are thinking through these issues. Hey, I've gone to public school. This is what I hear about science and faith is no good and I don't know creation evolution. Hebrews 11.3 settles it for me. Okay, now it doesn't answer all the questions, but Hebrews 11.3 settles it for me. There may be some other questions that we need to ask, uh, but for me, the foundation stone in all of this is Hebrews 11.3. It says this, <clears throat> By faith we understand that what? The universe. Everything. The universe was created by God's command or word. Now, we could have an interesting conversation about the scientific processes that began once that happened, but either God did it or it happened naturally. So either nature is God or God is God. It's really simple. It's the way that it is. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's word so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. We are created by the word. Jesus, the word of God in the flesh, God spoke the word, uh, spoke things into existence by the word. We exist, we live today because we were created by the word, physically speaking. That's also true spiritually speaking, because our second point is that we were redeemed by the word. We were redeemed by the word. Two verses, very important for understanding this. <clears throat> there are others, uh, these are the two that I've, I've chosen. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul is talking about why missions is so important. And he says, faith comes from what is heard. You hear something, you believe it, faith is born. Faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message or the word about Christ. Why is it so important to go? Because nobody just stumbles into being a Christian. You know, the, the, the tribe that they found in Brazil that no one had ever met before, and they started shooting arrows at the, uh, at the helicopter flying overhead. 
they're not just going to wake up one day and become a Christian unless someone goes to them and shares with them the word about the gospel. It is the word that redeems people, the word about Christ, the word about the gospel. And so it is important for us to go because people don't just stumble into Christianity. There's uh, four of us will have the opportunity here in, um, what's today? Today's 15th, almost a month, leaving for India. And um, we go because there are people there that have no idea who Jesus is, and our job is to go help make him known. That's why we go. Because people will not end up as Christians simply by tooling around in their Hinduism. They need to hear the message. They need to hear the word of the gospel, the word of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message, the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. We, we believe not only that God created the universe by his word, but we actually believe that the word of the cross, that the way that we are in a right relationship with God is by Jesus coming, the Son of God coming as man, living a perfect life and dying on a cross and then resurrecting again. That, that message is foolishness to those who are perishing. They, they, they think we have to like absolutely evacuate our brains from our heads to believe something like that. But we know that this message is the power of God. That through the message, the word of the cross, God is redeeming us and redeeming others because we're not just created by the word physically. We are redeemed by the word spiritually. Third, and finally, we are sustained by the word. We are sustained by the word. Now, there's a, a ton of scripture here. There's five or six passages I want us to look at. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 uh, Jesus is uh, issuing the model prayer. And he says that part of the model prayer is for us to pray this day for our daily bread. Now, I think that could mean, you know, you need to pray over your meals. Probably everybody here does that. We pray over our meals. But I don't know that we pray for our daily bread because when you go, you don't go daily shopping for your groceries. And I guarantee while you're walking through the supermarket, you ain't praying. <laughs> You might be pushing people out of the way, you know, running people over the cart, but you're not praying. Uh, w- w- things are different in our culture. When we go grocery shopping, it's typically like for two weeks at a time. So we might be praying for our biweekly bread, not our daily bread. Here's the point. In, in that culture, it was expected that uh, we, you knew that the food that you got came from God, and we can acknowledge the same thing. But if we are to be dependent upon God physically for our physical sustenance, our daily bread, why would we not be dependent upon God daily for our spiritual bread? Like, I don't know anybody here. Some of you might be up for the challenge. Go have a big, huge lunch today, and then don't eat again until next Sunday. You just engorge yourself. Just eat it all up, have a feast, and then don't eat anything for the rest of the week until next Sunday. We would never do that. That doesn't even sound, like, appealing physically. But that's what a lot of people do spiritually, is, is they kind of snack occasionally on the word. Whenever they feel guilty enough to pick up the Bible, they'll read enough. Oh, two verses, good, I'm done. I don't feel guilty anymore. Close that book up, and then I'm not going to crack it open until I feel guilty again. That's just not good. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about uh, version and what a wonderful tool this is. And uh, I'm not going to share individual's name because uh, he's not here for me to ask for his permission to use him as an illustration. Not that that ever works with my family, but outside of my family, I'm going to ask for permission before I use them as an illustration. 
Here's one of the things that's awesome. We talked about how there's all these Bible reading plans. Our bulletin is on version. You can add friends, and friends can hold you accountable for what you're reading. So here's, here's what I found is I opened up my eyes this morning and opened up my app to read uh, my Bible. It opens up to the home page where you can see what all your friends are doing. And if there's ever a time that someone might, might be tempted to skip their Bible reading, it would be while they're on a ski trip where there are devotions and preaching that are happening. It's while our youth are away. Does this make sense to you? Like, church trip should be okay to, like, skip out on your Bible reading? Yes. So I opened up my Bible app this morning, and there's a young man in our church that two minutes before I opened up my app had checked off that he'd completed his Bible reading for the day. That's awesome. That's great. You know, he, he, it would be easy to say, you know, I don't need the daily bread today because, you know, Pastor Reed or Pastor Kevin, who's the guest speaker, he's going to give it to me. No, no, no. This young man, regardless of the fact that he's on a church trip, is spending time with the Lord. That's great. That's what it means to rely upon him for daily bread. Not only just, just spiritual existence, but there's multiple things that it's good for. Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 17 says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. God's Word sustains us by not just being our, our, our daily spiritual bread, but it's our weapon for spiritual warfare. <clears throat> and Don Whitney uses this illustration, and I think it's great. He talks about how in our heart, the scripture that we have memorized are like weapons in an armory. You know, you think about the old castle, and the invaders are coming, you pull up the drawbridge, and everybody runs to the armory to put on the helmet and get the shield and get the bow and arrow and the crossbow and the sword. That's where the armory, the armory is where you keep the arms, it's where you keep the weapons. And in our day and age, there is like this diametric opposition to memorizing stuff. Well, you don't need to memorize anything. That's what we got phones for. That's what Google's for. You don't need to memorize anything. And so we don't memorize scripture anymore. So you get into a situation where you need God's word, you need the sword of the spirit, you need a weapon for spiritual warfare and the holy spirit goes run into the armory and it wants to see what's in here what do we got and it's looking under everything saying all right what kind of weapons we got <clears throat> and you're in the middle of temptation and the only weapon that you got is john three sixteen, which admittedly john three sixteen is an awesome verse but it, it might help you in evangelism it's not going to help you in temptation what, how, how, how what does that say to me and and, and yet we have armories that are completely empty because we've not taken up the sword of the Spirit. You know, we're using a saw to try to drive a nail. You know, wiggly little metal, and we're trying to use it to, to bang a nail in. What do you use to put a nail in a piece of wood? A hammer! You have to have the right tool for the right job. And yet, you got a John 3.16 for everything? John 3.16 isn't a multi-tool. It's a great tool for evangelism. It might not be a great tool for whatever you happen to be facing this week. And so the Bible says, it claims that it's our weapon for spiritual warfare. That's one of the ways that it sustains us. Philippians 2.16 says this, hold firmly to the message of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Hold firmly. Hold firmly. The best illustration that I have of this is carowinds. We have the world's largest, fastest, whatever elseist giga coaster in the world. And um, <clears throat> to protect the um, identity of the innocent, but it's my second-born daughter. She was um, she was she was tall enough this season 
What is that ride called? The Fury, thank you. Fury 360? 365. Yeah, it's not 360. It's five better than that. It's 365. Fury 365. So my, my daughter is tall enough to ride this for the first time. And uh, if everybody else rides it, she's going to ride it. She ain't going to be left out. But who does she want to ride it with? And the only reason I can think of is if in some kind of weird way, the ride breaks down and our restraints come undone. Dad can hold on to his thing and hold her by the hand, and he's strong enough to keep them both from falling to the death. Maybe that's it. Dad's provides strength and security. I don't know. But here's the thing that's crazy is that thing starts off, you're going to heaven. I mean, like, it's not going to stop until, like, you see St. Peter. You're going. It's right there. Like, in your prayers, they're, like, half the distance. I mean, like, your prayer life improves a ton. And so they get you in. Like, you are so strapped in into these things. I used to really love roller coasters, and now I realize when they strap you in, if you sneeze, you will break a rib. I mean, you are locked in there. You can't move. And so she, she didn't undo her restraints, but we get to the top of that thing, and, and Kylie has gotten both arms out around my neck and cranked, like half Nelson cranked my neck down. So when we get, <laughs> get going and we are getting our picture taken, she's eyes big, screaming, happy, and I'm like, let go of me! That is holding firmly. Why? Because you don't know what the next twist or turn brings. And you want to hold on to something that you know will hold on to you when the bumps in life come. It's holding firmly, isn't it? Would that describe how you hold on to God's word? My fear is not just us, not just me, Christians in general, especially in the West because we're lazy that all someone needs to do is barely brush by and our hold on the scripture is so loose it'll go tumbling to the ground. I mean, we carry it, but we don't really grasp it. We only hold it firmly. And I want you to see the urgency behind this. Look at the verse. It's right there on the screen. It says, hold firmly to the message. Then, then, only then, I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, okay? Now, if I say this, it will be mean. If you say it, then maybe you've learned something. If you don't hold firmly, you have no then. If I hold firmly, then I didn't run or labor in vain. If you don't hold firmly, guess what? What's, what's the answer? What have you done? How have you run or how have you labored if you don't hold firm? How have you run? The Bible says in vain. Do you see that? I mean, this is not just preacher talk. I mean, do you see this? So here's the charade that we all do. We dress up and we come to church and we don't read our Bible all week. And yet by walking in the door every week, people think, oh, good Christian. Baloney. If you are not holding firm to the word of God, your church showing upness is vanity. Charles Spurgeon would say it's painted pageantry in which to go to hell. He says, and all the plumes and feathers and boas that you want to wear will just be extra fuel to burn in hell with you. You just got to stop playing because it says, hold firmly. Hold on tight because it will be good for you and then you will have reason to glory in God's grace because all the stuff that you've been doing was not in vain. Colossians 3.16. I love this because it's both personal and corporate. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with 
gratitude in your heart to God. Has anybody ever had a dessert that's rich? Have you had a dessert that's rich? What do you do when you eat a rich dessert? Mmm. You start making all kinds of weird noises because it's good. It's real good. Now, <clears throat> when you say, and then you usually say something, oh, it's so rich, like nobody else at the table who is eating the same food as you are recognizes the richness of the dessert that you are eating. Hey, just in case you aren't chewing the same thing that I'm chewing, even though it's on your plate. Wow, this is rich. Now, that does not mean that you push away the plate and go, rich is bad, no, like rich. No, rich is good. I mean, you're like, dig it up, give me some more. I want a second helping. No, you can't eat dessert before your dinner. Rich is good. And the Bible says that we are to allow the word of God to dwell in us How do you pass that test? Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if people knew that if you went to Northside Baptist Church, that these are people that the Word of God dwells richly in? And just a little bite, and you'll know this is different. This is not run-of-the-mill TV dinner. This is rich. This is the good stuff. This is great. And he says, listen, you let it dwell in you, and here's one of the things that happened. Is like you're constantly worshiping, whether you're in a worship service or not. When the word dwells in you richly, then your your teaching and admonishing of one another is awesome. Because let's just be real honest, okay? I hope I'm speaking for you. I, I'm I'm not so interested in people's opinions. I'm more interested in what the word of God has to say. And you know, you got somebody at work that has a problem, and you're real quick to offer your opinions, aren't you? And they are too. Wouldn't it be a much richer experience to encourage one another with the word instead of your empty opinions that may not be any better than what Oprah's dishing out. And uh, It says that when the word dwells in us richly, our teaching and admonishing of each other is better. And then it says there's this perpetual worship service that happens. It says uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. You may not think that you can carry a tune in a bucket, that's why it says, in your heart. Nobody else needs to hear it. There's a worship service happening on the inside that when the word of God dwells in you, there's just this really rich expression of worship that is just, it's good. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul is this uh, a crazy church planner going around, establishing leaders, doing all this stuff. But you know, when he shows up, eventually he's going to leave. So in Acts 20, 32, they're like, Paul, we don't want you to go. Paul says, and now I commit you to God into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Paul says, listen, it's good for me to go. Because the more you're dependent on me, the less you're dependent upon the message of his grace. And, and just to be clear, I don't want you following me. I want you following the word. Paul says, so it's good, because I'm commending you to the word of his grace. And that's able to build you up. If you've received anything of spiritual benefit from anyone, it's not because they're smart. It's not because they get a perfect attendance pin. It's because the word has done the work through you, and you've been the vessel through which it has been shared. Deuteronomy 32, 44 through 47. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap with this. We'll look at Mark 4, and we'll be done. Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' sermons. Moses is about to die, and so he is encouraging people to really take seriously <coughs> the laws that he has passed on to him. He says this, Moses came... 
with Joshua son of Nun and recited all the words of this song in the presence of the people. And after Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all these words I am giving as a warning for you today, so that you may command your children to carefully follow all the words of this law, for they are not meaningless or vain or idle words to you, but they are your life. And by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Listen, friends, I want you to understand something. The promises that we inherit in Jesus are far superior to the promises that Moses gave to his people. We're not going into a geopolitical land and we're not crossing a literal Jordan to go into a little tiny piece of plot of land. We're going to a country whose architect and builder is God, to a temple not made with human hands, in a place that God dwells, to a promised land that is beyond this world, that is far superior to a land that's merely overflowing with milk and honey. God has given us the same command to be committed to his word for it to be our life, for it not to be idle for us. And there are great promises attached. There's a great destination in store for those who take his word seriously. So we're created by the word. We are redeemed by the word. We are sustained by the word. So here's the question. What do you need for the word to work in your life? What do you need for the word to work in your life? Because... um, listening to a sermon that maybe inspires you for five minutes doesn't cut it. Doesn't cut it. You have to do something. So what do you need for the Word to work in your life? Look with me at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Don't freak out. It's not going to be long. We're 27 minutes into this. I'm not starting another sermon. That's not it. I want to read nine verses of Scripture to you. And um, the challenge in, in teaching through this parable is for you to do what my kids do sometimes at Bible story time. Daddy, we've already heard this one before. I guarantee every single one of you have heard this parable before, except you have been trained not to listen to it. Because you assume that this parable is about evangelism and it's determining who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. Oh, they're going to hell, they're going to heaven, they're going to hell, they're going to heaven, they're going to hell, they're going to heaven. I think this, this parable has a lot of teaching that is good for evangelism. But I think as we're driving home our point this morning, you'll see that this has a lot more to do with discipleship. And you are in the picture here. You're in the parable. You are in the parable. Listen to what it says. And Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea, and he sat down, while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider... The sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up right away since it didn't have deep soil. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it didn't have a root, it withered. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce a crop. But still... Others fell on good ground and produced a crop that increased 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Then he said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. We tend to think that this passage is simply about evangelism and that the people that we are um, sharing this gospel presentation with are 
you know, one of these three types, and 75% of them are negative, and 25% are good, so that means evangelism is going to be really tough. Listen, Jesus provides an explanation of his parable, beginning in verses 12 and on, and he says this, that the seed that the sower sows is the word. It is the word. So right now, you, every single one of you, are one of those four soils. Some of you may come running up after, after the sermon and say, oh, that was great, and then you won't remember it in 10 minutes. You're like the one that it sprouts up, but it has no foundation. It has no root, and it produces no fruit. There are some people who are so used to listening to the word that they don't even hear it anymore. They're like the path. You know, they come to church because it's what you're supposed to do. This is the Bible Belt. Like, you're not an American if you don't come to church, but they don't listen to the word. And the minute it lands on the hard soil of their heart, the birds have come and taken it already. Friends, listen, this has application to evangelism, but it also has to do with how in the world do you listen when you're in church? The sower is sowing the word. You are right now listening to the word of God being preached to you. And it's not the act of preaching. Like, it's not done for me in 10 minutes. It's, it's part of ushering obedience to being the disciples that we're supposed to be and being on the mission that we're supposed to be on. And so there's four components that are really, really important here. I'll deal with them just briefly. Number one, word work requires space. Word work requires space. <clears throat> if you're going to plant... If you're going to plant a seed, you have to have a place to plant it. And, and as I've just said, every single one of you is one of these four soils. Right now, right now, the, the birds may be just above your head right now. Uh, the, the seed may just be penetrating that, that, that shallow soil right now to be dead by lunchtime. You know, some of you are so stressed out with stuff. Life is crazy. I, I get it. I keep wondering when life is going to slow down myself. You know, I'm, I'm like, it seems faster than it's ever been. And for some of you, you really want to listen to the word, but everything that you're dealing with has got you so freaked out that it just gets choked. You never find a way to apply it to your life. And so you have to have space. I, I tried to, I, I couldn't think like, what would grow really fast? What could I plant on Monday that would be like, I could have a little Dixie cup with a little sprout. I'm like, I ain't growing a chia pet. So um, I, I just didn't know what to, what to do for that. But the question is, what kind of space are you? Are you good soil? Oh, yeah, I'm good soil. I'm in church every Sunday. That's not what I asked. What kind of fruit is being produced? Because the good soil, what did it do? It produced. Now, it produced all different kinds of stuff, 30, 60, 100. You might not be 100. Everybody thinks they're 100. You might not be 100. Are you a 30? Or are the chances that you're one of those other three? That's not good at all. What kind of space are you? Number two, word work requires time. Listen, if you've ever planted anything, um, you've got to care for it. It, it takes time. It, it, I, I was looking for something that I could bring as a little show-and-tell object. I couldn't do it. Not enough time. I should have planned this much longer ago than Monday if I wanted my little show-and-tell object. You know, to have something you can see that's not like, you know, little bitty... And I'd have it up here and you wouldn't know what it is. You'd just think I've got an empty Dixie cup. <clears throat> it requires time. You've got to do it. There's all kinds of things that happen. And so some of you, you really love the idea of spending time in the Word until it actually gets down to doing it. 
Oh, being in the Lord would be great. And, and you're, you're the happy, happy, you know, shallow soil. And like when it comes to Monday morning, you don't have a plan. You don't have time. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. But you never do it. So listen, some of you think these things are evil. And, and we're, we're talking about making version the official Bible app of Northwest. Listen, I don't care whether you use it or not. I care whether you're in the Word. So if you're not in the Word and you want to blah, blah, blah about our plan, this plan is far better than yours that doesn't exist. So have a plan. Bring your Bible. Read through it. But don't just find it. If this works for you, let it work for you. Because the goal is not the methodology. The goal is the principle. Spending time in the Word. Finding time to spend in the Word. Word work thirdly requires work. That's work. Um, it's not easy. You've got to clear it. You've got to care for it. You've got to nurture it. You, you, have to, you have to watch out for deer. You've got to watch out for critters. You've got to watch out for too much sun, too much rain, too much, too much whatever. It's work. It, so this may surprise you, but every time I crack open this book, I don't hear angel choir singing. Oh, here's what you're to preach on next week. It doesn't happen that way. Some weeks it does. Some weeks, some weeks it seems like the sermons really write themselves. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes the gold is just laying in big chunks on the ground. Other times I gotta get my shovel and I gotta dig. Some weeks I gotta dig more than others. But it's there. The question is, are you willing to work? There are some people that go, all right, gonna read the Bible. John 10, 35, Jesus wept. All right, let's call it a wrap, man. I'm, I'm moving along. Is that really what you want to do? That is not making the word your life. It takes work. Fourth and finally, and this is an implication, okay? How many sowers are there in the passage? It's singular. It's one. He's a sower. Now, a sower can carry a lot of time. Ed and I have seen guys sowing in Africa. They, just, they have this big old... Uh, net bag thing and they're just just casting it, casting it, casting it. One guy can cover a lot of territory. But did you see what happened when the seed grew? It grew crazy. 30, 60, 100 fold. Here, here's what I think happened, okay? One guy can sow a lot of seed. I don't know that one guy can collect 100 fold. He may sure love to try. But what's he going to have to do when the word bears fruit in his life? He's going to have to find some other people to work with him. He's going to have not just enough food for his family. He's going to have $35,000 more that he can give to other people. He's going to have more than what he needs for his own family, that he can be a blessing to others. And so word work requires sharing. It requires sharing. You know, if you are spending time in the word, and it is your life, and you love it, and God is blessing it, you know who's going to know? You know who's going to know? Everybody. Because the word will dwell in you richly. That's just how it works. And, 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 and listen, friends, I, I've been having conversations with my kids about their friends. I say, oh, what, what, what's, your, what's your friend, how does your friend spend time in the word? What are they reading? I don't know that. Well, you need to find out. What kind of friend are you if you're not asking them? And big kids, I would say the same thing to you. Like, we've, we've drawn this dividing line. That is private. Don't you be asking me about my private devotions. That's the wrong attitude to have. We should be willing to share with each other what's going on in our lives. And so, 
I'm trying to get my kids to say, you need to encourage your friends to be reading the Word, and they need to be doing the same with you. And so here's a question for you. Who have you shared with, friend, family member, about something you've gotten out of God's Word? It's an insight. Something you've read, maybe it's a devotional book, you're loving Oswald Chambers, you know, and you're... Your mom and your dad is real familiar with Oswald Chambers. We don't, he's lost his luster for us. But you read him and that enthusiasm is an encouragement to them. God's word is for sharing. It's not for hoarding. It's not. And when it comes down to brass tacks, it comes down to this. Our relationship with God through Christ is dependent upon knowing the word. It's dependent upon knowing the word. And if we cannot share with our brothers and sisters in Christ then how, in this room, how in the world will we share with people who don't even share our same values? If we want the flicker of revival to begin, it will never begin until God's people begin to take God's word seriously and recognize it as their very life. May God help us to do so. Father, we thank you for this gift of your word. I feel like if we asked who among us needed to repent of the time that we have spent in the word, that no one would be able to leave today. Father, I, I, I pray that you help us to understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our motive today is not to guilt someone into doing something that they don't want to do. Father, instead, it is to ask the question, where is our desire? And even if our practice does not match up to our desire, isn't the desire there to know you more? Father, I pray that you encourage us and moreover that your spirit inspires us to not do a work. We don't do a work. We build a relationship. We believe that the Bible is absolutely fundamental to everything in life. So Father, we ask that you instruct our hearts, that you help us very gently to bend our wills. May we be like a green twig in your hand that you can shape as you need that we will make word discipline a more important part of our lives and that we will always seek to gladly receive our daily dose of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.